into the Legion of Sports. I'm Chase Williams alongside Harrison Klein and Jake Anthony. We're in the middle of the NFL offseason, so there's lots of rumors going on right now. We want to go through each one of your guys' best rumor, what you find the most interesting that could happen this offseason. I'll let you start it off, Harrison. So mine involves Tom Brady, and I think that's definitely been the biggest uh, topic, basically, that we've seen so far this offseason. And this one I just saw about an hour ago, so... Basically, Tom Curry, Tom Curran, who is NBC Sports from Boston, is apparently very plugged into the Patriots. He said that the favorites right now are the Patriots and the Titans, like we've been hearing, but the 49ers are a team that is apparently, he said, quote-unquote, closing hard, and basically what they would do is they would either trade Garoppolo or release him. They have a potential opt-out after this season where they would only have $4.2 million in cap space, so I think that's just a very interesting rumor right now, and... So do you guys buy that or sell that? I mean, I don't necessarily buy it. Um, obviously, this is a rumor, so it has no uh, real uh, repercussions behind it. So um, I, I would see Tom Brady mainly staying in New England. That would be my prediction if I had to bet on where he would be. But I also see Tennessee or Tampa Bay as a higher option than San Francisco, only because they were so successful last year with Jimmy Garoppolo and because Tom Brady will be – um, well into his 40s by the time he gets to San Francisco. I don't think it's a good deal for either of them because Tom Brady will have really high expectations next year, and I'm not. I'm just not sure he'll live up to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't buy it overall. Uh, I I tend to agree with that. I for the same reason. He's just so old for the 49ers. I don't think it makes sense for them because they're so close already. And granted, Garoppolo doesn't always play the best, but I think he is a good quarterback, and I think that's something that's not worth giving up on him for because there's no reason to carry around his cap space and sign another quarterback. Having two pretty much <coughs> star quarterback type money under like under the cap, like that's tough. And I think that's especially with some of the stuff they need to, some of the people they're trying to resign. I think that money could go elsewhere. So I don't really buy it. I think it's great hypothetically. But I just think it's kind of unless they really want to win now, I don't I don't understand it because I think they could win now with Garoppolo and later. So I just don't see why they would do it in this situation. It's just too late in his career. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with both of you guys on this. Where I just don't really see why the 49ers would do that because I think at the worst they're pretty even quarterbacks right now. But probably Garoppolo is better. He's younger. He would cost only about $24 million the next three seasons of his contract, where Brady, we're hearing, might get up around $30 million. So would you really rather Brady for two seasons at $30 million or Garoppolo for the next three seasons at, at, at 24, where Brady is going to keep progressing? So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you guys. Where I just I don't know if I necessarily buy that, and I don't know why the 49ers would do this. And another point would be that they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo a few years ago um, off of the team that Tom Brady was on. So I don't see them really giving up the guy that they traded for. I mean, they gave up a pretty decent package for. I mean, not too much, but um, I, th- I believe it was two picks for uh, Jimmy Garoppolo a few years ago. So I don't see them potentially cutting or trading Jimmy Garoppolo unless there was a huge market. But after his performance in the playoffs, I don't see him having a huge trade market anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I kind of agree with that. Like, especially he didn't play great during the Super Bowl, but he played well enough that they, could, they were in a spot to win until the fourth quarter. And he was part of that downfall in the fourth quarter, of course, and could have played better. But it's his first Super Bowl that he started in. Like, there's a lot of things going on. It just does not make sense to me for him to do anything, to, for them to give up on Jimmy G. 
Okay, so the next rumor that we have um, goes back a little bit farther, um, and it is that Tua Tagovailoa will be a Dolphin um, at the end of this year's draft. Um, so do you guys buy or sell that rumor? I, I buy that rumor. I really do. It's one of the two places I really see him going to, and I'll talk a little bit. This will make more sense when I talk about my prediction in a few minutes, but the Dolphins, I think it's a smart move, but also, I don't know, because they do have already Fitzpatrick and Rosen. I think I think the first move you'll see before that happens is them try to get, get rid of Rosen, so it makes a lot of sense, but I think there's a domino that needs to fall before we see that happen for sure. Yeah, I uh, I buy this rumor also because, I mean, I think what we've seen from Tua on tape is he is a top quarterback in this draft. No doubt he's top two right behind Joe Burrow. And the Dolphins obviously need a quarterback for the future. And I think the consensus after Indianapolis where, in at the combine where we heard that he's fully health, or he's going to be fully healthy, checks out medically, and apparently he's had some good interviews with team with teams. Everyone has loved what he's had to say. And, I mean, the consensus is that people would be shocked if he falls out of the top five and the Dolphins pick at five and obviously trading up to number three with Detroit or number four with the Giants to make sure that no one else steals Tua from them also would be an option. So, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I I would be shocked if Tua is not a Miami Dolphin. Yeah, I think uh, I also buy this rumor. I think that uh, Miami will have to move up either way, um, not only to secure him but also to – keep other teams away from trading up into that Detroit spot or the Giants spot that you mentioned. Um, the other thing is that we've been hearing this for a year, maybe even a little bit longer than that, the tank for Tua rumors when they were not very good at the beginning of the season. So I feel like they um, are ready for that quarterback of the future. They have a lot of draft capital if they need to trade up. So I think it's a really realistic option for the Dolphins. And the final thing I want to mention about this whole thing is because I think Tua to Miami is a good fit because I feel like Miami is definitely up and coming. I think their coach, Brian Ford uh, Flowers, is really great. And just the way they played towards the end of the season, they played really well because they went from being one the second to last team to get a win, I believe, to they won five games by the end of the year. And I think that's a really big deal. And so that's a good place for Tua to go. But Detroit sitting there right at three is like, a hard like just wall right there that they have to deal with because there's so many ways Detroit could go about this and also Washington at two because there's now rumors that have come out that they're not sure they're cool with Haskins that that's what they think their future is so I think there's just a lot of turmoil right there right before them that they might have to sell and give up a lot to get to us so I'll be interested how that works out yeah, and I think it was an inter- interesting point that you made about the Redskins, and we heard that they met with both Joe Burrow and Tua, and they said that they were doing their due dil- diligence. I don't really buy the rumors that they're not that they're going to go after these quarterbacks because we saw Haskins improve last year, and I mean I think he's still 22 years old. He's still a good quarterback, so I don't know why you would you know risk. I mean I get it. If you don't think Haskins is it, then you draft Tua if you think he's it. But I mean you could get Chase Young still the best defensive player in some people's mind the best player in the draft exactly and then yeah I mean I think that wall at number three like you said Chase that's I think that's the key spot that is where Tua will end up going in the end of the day in Miami obviously with three first round draft picks and I think two second rounders they have the draft capital to move up so I think that's what they'll end up doing and then Detroit could honestly end up with Jeff Okuda at number five, who most people think they're going to get anyway at number three. So it could work out for both parties in, at the end. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Going back to your point with Dwayne Haskins, I mean, um, not only is he coming off of just one year in college and one year in the NFL, I mean, he's very young and raw. 
but he's also, I mean, I saw reports that he's been in their facilities for the past few weeks when really no other players are in there. I mean, this is a time for them to take off and really recover, but he's in there learning the playbook a little bit more um, in the gym, lifting, just building himself up. So if he's doing all that extra work, I don't really see them um, going away from him at this point, even though Tua is that prized possession right now. But yeah, I mean, I agree where Detroit could move back and still get their guy in Acuna um, without having to take him at number three and gain a potential pick in that deal. The final thing I want to say before I move on to our last rumor is that it's really interesting. Like, you never think of someone drafting a quarterback two straight years, but you saw Arizona do it. And so now I'm <coughs> thinking that maybe there's a serious chance Washington is going to think about doing it. I think Washington's going to be a big player in free agency too. They have a decent amount of money. And I don't know that they'll end up with some people, but I mean, I've just been looking through Bleacher Report and places they think people could go and a lot of them have like Washington as a dark horse option. So I'll be interested about that. And they might be looking for a win now quarterback. And from the way Haskins played, I don't know that he is that right now. So maybe they think one of these rookie quarterbacks can come in and have a type of season that sometimes rookie quarterbacks have like they had with RG3 a few years ago. But I will move on to the final rumor, which is about not a quarterback. I mean, it's very heavy quarterback free agency class, but Jadavion Clowney is not getting as much talk as he probably deserves for being the player he is. And it's not necessarily about him leaving Seattle, but that they're only a team that really, like the other team that's going to compete with Seattle is possibly the Colts. And honestly, it's something I buy because the Colts have the money to make the move. And I think it's a great signing for them. Because the Colts have a good team structurally. I need. I think they just need to fill a few, few holes, and then Clowney can do that. So it's definitely a rumor I buy. So I'm actually going to sell on this rumor, and I mean, I think the main reason is that I'll do the. Although the Colts do have a lot of money, I think that they're gonna their focus is going to be on a quarterback this offseason. Jacoby Brissett obviously isn't the guy for the future for them. So whether it's a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, Philip Rivers, we've heard his rumors. There's a lot of good quarterbacks they can go after this offseason. And I would honestly be a little bit surprised if they made a move to get a defensive end in Clowney, who obviously is a great player, one of the best at his position. But I think they have big, bigger needs at quarterback and some other holes, like you mentioned, Chase, where I think they, their resources and money would be better spent. Yeah, I'm going to sell on this rumor, too, um, only because uh, we've seen the past few years the Colts have had, at least in the Chris Ballard era, a lot of money to be able to spend, and they have not. I mean, they signed Justin Houston last year, um, but he's been one of the only big-name um, free agents that they've signed. So I could potentially see them going after a younger Chris Jones. In a, uh, They'd probably have to trade for him because uh, the Chiefs aren't just going to let him out the door after what he did. But uh, I'm just selling on this rumor because of their uh, – strategies the past few years the Colts strategies and uh I just I don't see Jadavion Clowney having an immediate impact on the team I mentioned a few weeks ago where they're a lot farther off from winning than people think um obviously with Andrew Luck there I mean they could win no matter what because he was that good of a quarterback but now (coughs) without that um really elite quarterback play I think they need to rebuild that roster um a little bit more before they bring in those big name guys that can just push them over the edge um, kind of like what we saw uh, the 49ers do where they slowly brought in these pieces and then they, um, through, whether it's through the draft and Nick Bosa or through a trade in Emmanuel Sanders, they uh, got some big names to help build their playoff run once they knew their roster was ready. 
And I do believe that he will stay in Seattle no matter what, but I do think the Colts will be the other team that really tries to make a run for him. And that's the part I'm buying. I don't think he'll end up in Indianapolis. But for me, I just, I do, you mentioned the Colts try and build themselves kind of like the Niners. I think this is a signing that I could see that would be because of that. And they definitely do have, in my opinion, I'm not too up to date with the Colts roster, but I believe kind of a subpar offense right now. And I expect that to continue through the year. So I could see them, especially in the AFC South, which is a very competitive yet inconsistent in some way conference just because I feel like none of those teams normally have just some great offense that possibly you just need that good defense to win and which is why I see them going in on Clowney because I just I think that could put them in the hump to be back in that conversation for a possible playoff berth next year yeah I mean it wouldn't shock me if the Colts make a run at him but I think in the end they're going to get priced out of him I think he's going to ask for a lot of money and I mean that's the reason that Houston traded him away to Seattle in the first place they knew they weren't going to pay him they wanted to get something back for him so I think honestly in the end of the day he'll probably end up with Seattle there's a few other teams where I think will I mean obviously a lot of teams are going to be interested he's a top tier player at his position but yeah I mean in the end I don't think the Colts will want to spend that money for him especially with I don't like like you said Jake I don't think he'll have that impact where he's going to matter that much to that team where they can make the playoffs and potentially get over the hump and even compete in the playoffs uh, another team I mean you just mentioned the other teams that Clowney could go to outside of Seattle and Indianapolis and I mean I just I think that the Ravens can make a run at him um, they don't have a ton of cap money uh, or a ton of money to spend but I feel like that if they add a pass rusher, a legitimate um, tier one pass rusher to that defense, that can really help them to get after the quarterback, be able to drop back a lot more and not have to blitz as much. And I mean, they they really just didn't perform as well as they expected to in the playoffs. So I feel like a player of that caliber could help them next year come playoff time. That's actually a really interesting team that I hadn't even thought about because they will have to maneuver their roster around to make that happen, let some pieces go and switch up some money but that's actually a very interesting offer and I agree exactly with what you said Harrison where I think they will have they'll go after him but they'll have a set amount of money they're willing to give him and that Seattle will push that pass and take him from take Clowney from Indianapolis because of that and now I will move on to what like one or two predictions you guys have that's going to happen not necessarily based off these rumors but just based off anything you've heard or anything you believe could happen from history of the NFL I mean the offseason be a crazy time. And what two predictions you guys have of what could happen before the season starts? So my first prediction is that Austin Hooper will sign with the New England Patriots. And, I mean, I think the biggest issue for the Patriots this season was not their defense. It was their lack of weapons on offense, and especially at the tight end position. I think they rank last in just overall tight end production in terms of receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. They really struggled with the loss of Rob Gronkowski, which probably took them a little bit by surprise, and they just weren't able to build that position back up. So I think signing a guy like Cooper will help a lot, and then maybe they can use that as a way to bring to you know lure back in Tom Brady, where he said that he will only go back if they make improvements to the offense and get him more weapons. So I think him going there definitely gives them a chance, and that's one of the reasons they'll be able to pursue him and maybe sign him. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that idea. I don't know if uh, it'll be Austin Hooper or Hunter Henry. I think he's another option as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they really need to go after some, um, not necessarily big name, but just – uh, productive players that could 
um, like you said, lure Tom Brady back into New England because the roster that they had last year clearly wasn't good enough. And I think that, I mean, if Tom Brady says it, well, I mean, if he says that he has stuff left in the tank and that he's ready to play next year and ready to compete, then, I mean, I don't think he's going to go out there and embarrass himself. Um, so I, I believe him, and I just think that he needs those weapons around him. And hopefully it's in New England for them. Um, hopefully they can um, get enough guys in their, in their building that they can lure Tom Brady back in. But, I mean, if not, then I see him in a different uniform in 2020, which will look really weird. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with the fact that there's going to be a tight end that is a Pro Bowl level, level caliber tight end in New England. I'm just not sure it's Hooper. I think there's a good chances. I also agree that Hunter Henry is a chance. But I also feel like there's a very good chance we're seeing Rob Gronkowski back on the football field next year. There's absolutely no buzz about it right now. There was buzz about it, and I think there was no reason for buzz about it throughout last season because there was obviously till a certain amount of time where he could have come back. But I think just because that guy was in his prime, and now we've seen it happen with Calvin Johnson recently, Barry Sanders back in the day where they did leave football and never come back. But... um. I just think that there is a very good chance that Gronk could be that, especially if he – that could be a piece, I feel like, to convince Tom Brady to come back as well. I I mean, I think that would definitely – I would. I mean, it's that's bold. very bold. That would obviously help in, in Brady returning, I mean, getting one of his favorite targets ever to come back. But I personally don't see it happening. I, I think Gronk is very happy in retirement. He's spoken about it a lot where he has no interest in coming back right now. I was even listening to him talking yesterday in another interview he did, and he was saying how the only way he would come back is if he could play. They basically The question they asked him was, would you come back if you could only play one game and that was a Super Bowl? And he said, yeah, I would, I would do that, but I wouldn't practice or play in any other games. So, I mean, I think that just shows he doesn't really have any interest at this point. I, and, yeah, I think that's partially because he's gone through so much and been beat up so much through his career. And I would be surprised if he came back, but if any – organization that had him and could bring him back i feel like it's new england because of the firepower they have in the front office and the coaching staff and potentially with the quarterback and i i agree with you i don't think he misses it i'm just surprised he i i expected this man to have a lot of business opportunities that haven't came out about since he's been in retirement so i've been kind of confused what he's doing and I understand why he doesn't seem to want to come back, but at the same time, deep down, we all know he definitely misses football, and I think that would be a very interesting tactic that New England could use as a double whammy to get a target and keep Tom Brady. Yeah, I mean, if Gronk were to come out of retirement, I mean, there's no other team Tom Brady's going to play for only because of Gronkowski being on that team, but I just don't see it as a realistic option. I mean, potentially he's only 30, so... I mean, it could happen, but I mean, realistically, I, I don't see it happening only because of the way that he retired um, and just, I mean, just watching his Super Bowl um, party um, in Miami this past Super Bowl. I mean, he was just, I mean, that's the kind of guy he is where he just likes oh, yeah. to have fun. And now he has millions of dollars and it's secured and he doesn't have to play for it anymore so he can have as much fun as he wants. So I, I don't really see that as a realistic option. And also bringing up Gronkowski, you said that he hasn't done much after football, but I mean, he ha he just recently made a big announcement about how he's gonna do stuff with mental health and and try and make things better for people in in the future. So I mean, I think that maybe not like acting in those business opportunities, but I still think he's trying to make an impact in that way. And that's exactly the business opportunities I was expecting him to make. Actually, is somewhere something with the health concerns of football or 
exactly what you just mentioned. I personally did not know about that. And that makes a lot of sense and actually adds up with why then Gronkowski retired. And I just, I didn't necessarily expect him to get into acting, even though I know a lot of people talked about it. But that makes a lot of sense. And I would probably honestly, <coughs> I, would, I won't retract what I said, but that that definitely puts me, it puts him down deeper on my list of likelihood to come back. I just personally also as a big Gronkowski fan would love for him to come back anyways. Okay, so the next uh, bold prediction or my first bold prediction would um, it would be that Teddy Bridgewater is going to play for the Indianapolis Colts next season. Um, it's a little bit bold only because of um, the fact that Jacoby Brissett is on their roster um, for next season and that, like I mentioned earlier, they don't really like spending, or at least right now, um, spending too big on um, guys that won't be there for, for too long. I mean, uh, Bridgewater, I believe, is 27, um, and so he will he'll be there for a while. He's definitely in his prime, especially after that injury. I feel like he's really healthy, and uh, I, he could get them some good quality wins a lot better than Jacoby Brissett. Um, but I just don't know if they'll fully do it um, or if they'll commit to him for as long as he wants, especially the money that is rumored that he's asking for. It's kind of also, as a Colts fan, it's kind of a wishful thinking idea where we can get a guy better than Jacoby Brissett. Um, but yeah, I, I really think that uh, Teddy Bridgewater would be successful and really thrive um, with the Colts, especially behind that great offensive line. I, the Col- I don't have much to say about this because I just feel like the Colts aren't at the top of his list and don't fit as well as I think he could fit with a few other places. Or personally, I want to see him, I guess, maybe in with the Chargers or with the Bucks. more. I think that might be more interesting for me. But I, I could see it. But I just I don't know too much about that bit. I also feel like the Colts' offense isn't totally developed. I feel like that's something that Bridgewater will need is a lot of weapons that he can use. And I'm not sure if the Colts' offense is set to where he would succeed. So I, I think that's a very interesting thing. I could see it happening, but I feel like that's more of a fallback option on both sides in a way. I think this is really interesting because, I mean, I think Teddy Bridgewater, outside of Tom Brady, probably is some of the most questioned as to where he will play next year. He has so many options. We've heard the Chargers rumors. We heard the the um, the Buccaneers rumors, like you just mentioned, and that they're apparently very hot after him. And then I think the Colts are going to be after him. Miami wouldn't shock me if they throw some money at him. So, I mean, there's a lot of options for him. I don't know if I agree with this or disagree. I think at this point it's just hard to tell. But I think that's definitely a very interesting prediction. And I think it definitely could happen. I don't know if it will, but that's definitely very interesting. And, and I, I wouldn't mind seeing that, honestly. I, I agree with that. And I also feel like it's one of those predictions where I can't see it going either way right now. But maybe when we're deeper into free agency and a few play, people have fallen, where that will either make a lot of sense or it'll be very clear that there's no possibility of that happening. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I I think it'll it'll take some time, and we'll have to definitely see the Tom Brady domino fall first, um, or at least some other dominoes fall first. But um, I just I think that he could um, really put a higher ceiling on um, what the Colts have right now in Jacoby Brissett. And I, but I do agree with uh, some of your points where he's. De- or the Colts definitely aren't at the top of his list, but I feel like their potential um, in the next maybe two or three seasons is a lot higher than people think, only because um, of 
you mentioned the offensive um, pieces that are missing, and yes, I would agree that they need help at receiver um, and probably another tight end after Eric Ebron leaves. But, I mean, their offensive line is really good right now. They're going to have to upgrade it once those guys get a little bit older. But um, I just it's kind of wishful thinking that Teddy Bridgewater gets signed. But I think he'd be a pretty good fit. And I agree with you there. I think it's something that could help heighten the Colts' um, ceiling. And I think it's a great pickup. I just... I just don't know how well it fits now. He has to be patient, I guess. They have to agree to that. Like, it's not going to work perfectly right away. But to move on to my prediction, which is really a 2 and one I'll add my predictions will go back-to-back just because they go very well with each other. And mine is that Washington ends up trading that number two pick because I think what they're trying to do is I do believe they're uncertain on Dwayne Haskins, but because he is – he seems – like one of those quarterbacks that is more likely to work than I thought he was when he came into the NFL. And we've talked about him being in the training facility and one of the few players that is right now working his butt off to get better. And so I think Washington's floating around this idea of potentially drafting a quarterback at number two. And there's a lot they can do. I think there's a lot of places, people they'd like to draft. I think they'd be happy with Chase Young. I think they would take Tua because he is a potential good pickup for them. Um, the guy from Ohio State, the cornerback that we were talking about earlier. Okay. Thank you. I could not remember his name. I think that's a great pick. And also, um, Simmons, the linebacker from Clemson, I think would also be a decent pick for them. I think that's a little bit high at two, but he's a very athletic guy. I saw um, comparisons to Sean Taylor. So I think because of all these great guys just in general that are going to fall in that, Washington's going to use this to build a little bit more of a future, which they need. And so the two people that make sense – is potentially Miami trading up to get Tua because of all this concern of either Washington taking him at two or Detroit at three, and then potentially Detroit just trading up one if they really want to move on from Stafford and drafting Tua at two. And that way Washington can still get one of those few guys I just mentioned that could potentially help boost them into the future and give them a good defensive uh, piece. Along with then, my second thing is, I think uh, Detroit is more likely to trade up than Miami is because of the fact that I feel like my Miami recently has been talking about how they're not sure how they feel about Tua. I heard something about their interview was like, quote-unquote, Tua called it awkward. It wasn't what he was expecting. And so I think Detroit is more likely to trade up, and I think that's my prediction. Detroit trades up, drafts Tua. That's my second prediction. Detroit trades up, drafts Tua, and then trades Matthew Stafford to probably a team that's looking for a quarterback that ends up missing out on this market. So I don't really think this is going to happen because I think the Redskins do like Haskins enough personally, and I think Chase Young basically fell into their lap at number two overall. Most people thought he'd go number one until, you know, the Bengals got it and they, they're a quarterback-needy team. They, don't, they need that more than a defensive lineman. But I think the only way this will happen is if the, if the, uh, sorry, the Dolphins trade up to the number three overall pick with the Lions and then somehow the Redskins are able to convince them basically that they're going to take Tua at number two overall and basically tell the Dolphins that either you trade up and t- and you get Tua or we're going to take him at n- number two. Kind of like how the 49ers a few years ago convinced the Bears that they were going to take, I guess, Trubisky. I don't really know how they pulled it off, but they convinced the Bears to give a, a, a King's Ransom to move up one spot to take Mitch Trubisky. 
So, I mean, I think if they do something like that, what happened that year, it could happen, but I really don't think this is going to happen. And that's that's the reason why I think it's going to happen, because I think they're still going to get a guy that can be a defensive cornerstone for them if they trade back and then also have future picks that could help them from this possible trade that could happen by trading just one or three places back, which is why I think they should at least try to do this trade. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, a decent idea if they um, like Haskins for the Redskins to trade back. Um, because, like you said, there's a lot of um, valuable guys in that top 10 or top 5, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you see a lot of guys at the beginning that, I mean, especially quarterbacks that are um, at the top of the draft. But, I mean, I like your idea, Harrison, where um, that's the only realistic, <coughs> I, realistic way I see it as well, where Detroit, I mean, sorry, um, Miami would have to convince um, – the, would have to be convinced to move up that extra spot, um, which I think could happen because obviously they want to a, a lot. I agree that Miami will have to be convinced to make this trade, especially with the uncertainty they have around Tua right now, and they have to be more certain that they want Tua. I think from Washington's standpoint, it just makes sense for them to try this. But also at the same time, the more I think about this trade ever since I've mentioned it, the last few defensive cornerstones to come out of Ohio State are the Bosa brothers, and they've been great in the NFL. So I think that's going to be hard for the Redskins to take a play that's arguably played the best out of the three of those guys in college and say, nah, we'll, we'll, we'll trade back and take someone else. That's not as likely to be a star right away in the NFL. But I think it's very interesting, and more on the second prediction, I really, the more I feel like, the more I think about it, the more I feel like, not necessarily the Lions will give up on Stafford, but they should, just because I feel like they're not in a place where Stafford makes any sense, and he's got lots of money, and I feel like even by the end of his contract, there's just not going to be much there for him. Yeah, I think the Stafford point is really interesting, because we've heard a few times this offseason that he is, that there's definitely a chance he's going to get traded, and the Lions could potentially take Tua at number three, so... I think that's definitely a really interesting idea. I'm not going to fully believe that until, you know, I really hear that they're in talks with teams. That's more just a rumor that they're thinking about it. But I think that's definitely a possibility that that does happen this offseason. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough for Detroit to trade Matt Stafford, especially after the year that he was having last year um, before the injury. I think that if they go to trade him, they're going to get a lot in return. So that's a realistic option if they get one of those defensive cornerstones um, in the draft and then they trade to whoever, um, give up Matt Stafford and get a, a lot of picks for next offseason and really restart that rebuild. Um, but I don't see it realistically happening only because he was performing so well last year. And then the other point is that I don't see uh, the Redskins passing on Chase Young. I mean, he... Like Harrison mentioned earlier, I mean, he shouldn't really be a number two pick. He's probably one of the better number two picks of all time if he goes to number two. And then if he falls to number three, somehow if two is taken second, then he's the best number three pick of all time, at least in potential. Because he, in any other draft, if it wasn't so quarterback heavy, and if uh, these two guys weren't up there, then he would be the first pick. I mean, we've seen it a lot where if there's no quarterbacks there, then those guys are the front runners. So... 
I just don't see them passing on uh, such a generational talent, especially after, I mean, you mentioned the Bosa brothers, the impact that Nick Bosa had coming in there. Obviously, the Redskins don't have the offensive line that the 49ers had before they got Bosa, so they're going to have to really rebuild that, but this could be the first piece, not their last piece. I, I agree with that, and the final thing I will move on before I give it to you for your second prediction is I am, we've been talking about Chase Young and how he really is the talent for a number one pick. I'm surprised the Bengals aren't, haven't thought about that at all. I mean, Andy Dalton's not the best quarterback in the world, but, like, he is better than some. He's an okay quarterback. I put him in a group kind of around Jimmy Garoppolo, honestly, maybe a little bit lower. But if you look at his stats since 2011, he, uh, out of quarterbacks that haven't made the playoffs, he does fit in a category with Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, and he's the bomb of that pack in I understand them moving on for Joe Burrow, but I'm surprised there's not any rumors that they're considering Chase Young at all. Well, I mean, as a Bengals fan, I, I follow this pretty closely, and I think until about probably December or January, there were still talks whether Chase Young should be the number one overall pick, and I think that there's definitely examples in the NFL, and I think the most potent one is Khalil Mack is a top defensive lineman and you know pass rusher in the NFL. Look what the Bears did with Mitch Trubisky. Look what even the Rams did this year. They have Aaron Donald, the best defensive player in the entire NFL. They couldn't make the playoffs this year. So you, I think that it's more important to get a, a defensive lineman is only going to win you so many games. A quarterback can win you a lot of games. So I think that's where the Bengals are, are realizing that. At this point in Andy Dalton's career, he can only do you so much. They want to focus on the future, draft this, this guy in Joe Burrow, who some people are saying is maybe the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. And you saw the impact he made in the NFL, and he would still be a superstar if he was still playing, obviously. He was at the top of his game and was still a top three or four quarterback in the league as as Jake basically cries himself to sleep every night about it. But, I mean, I, I just think, I get what you're saying, and Chase Young is that good, but if you need a quarterback and if you're not satisfied with your quarterback, get a quarterback because that's the most important position. Oh, I, and I completely agree. Ten times out of ten, I'm drafting Joe Burrow in this situation. It just it has surprised me that since they've, 100% had this first round draft pick the first overall draft pick that there really hasn't been much talk I mean it died down before the end of the season and I mean I, I think again it's the right decision I have no argument I'm just I expected them to make some talk about this because I feel like Chase Young is something that can do and I you put in Andy Dalton in that uh, Jared Goff and Mitchell Trubisky kind of area which is where I would put him too and I'd throw Garoppolo as like the best out of those few quarterbacks so I completely agree with you I just expected there to be some traction there I'm surprised there's not yeah so my um next bold prediction is that the Panthers are going to trade Cam Newton to the Chargers and they're going to basically swap picks in the NFL draft they pick six and seven the Chargers will move back to seven the Panthers will move back to six and then probably another pick or two will be involved in the deal but I think the main reason for this is Matt Rule said Cam Newton's a guy. I don't think he is their guy for the future anymore. And then the Chargers have been looking for a new quarterback, but I don't think we really know what they want to do. Do they want to sign Bridgewater and have him be the franchise guy, or is he going to be uh, a bridge quarterback for, let's say, they draft Justin Herbert? But then also with the draft, you have 2 on Joe Burrow. Those are consensus 1 and 2. But people think there's a pretty big drop-off from 2 to Justin Herbert. There's a lot of questions involving him, and... One of the bigger draft guys from Bleacher Report, Matt Miller, even says how he has Herbert ranked in his 20s and that he really doesn't think he's a guy that deserves to go that high. 
but with obviously you need quarterbacks. If you think he's the guy, he's your guy. So, I mean, that's that's an option for them, but I'm not totally convinced that they think that. So I think they're going to bring in Cam Newton, and I think the Panthers will draft their quarterback of the future, whether it's Herbert, whether it's maybe Jordan Love, if, if they think highly enough of him. So that's my bold prediction that Cam Newton will get traded to the Chargers and the Panthers will take their quarterback of the future. Okay, that's that's very interesting. I um, I don't know if I completely agree with that, um, only because I don't know if the Chargers are going to invest. It's not too much to trade back one and then maybe add a second rounder, a fourth rounder, something, some other pick. It's not too much of a package, but Cam Newton will be a free agent after this year, um, so that's something to consider. Um, the other thing is that if Cam Newton does end up as a Charger, I think he'll be really successful. Um, the Panthers right now aren't really ready to compete, and I think he'll have a down year if he's on that team. I mean, Christian McCaffrey will help because he's grown a lot since we last saw Cam Newton. But, I mean, that offensive line's not very good. They don't have a lot of wide receiver weapons. So I think he'll struggle in Carolina. But if he goes to the Chargers, I think he'll have a much better year. He could even be a most improved candidate. Um towards the end of the year I mean I think that they have a really good offense and just his mobility I mean Philip Rivers was not mobile at all I mean that's the definition of just sitting in the pocket getting rid of the ball when you need to um, so Cam Newton adding that and I mean he, he was an MVP in 2017 so that was only three years ago I mean this would be four years ago coming on next season but I mean that's not too far for an NFL quarterback so I just I I'd like it but I don't know if it'll actually happen only because he'll be a free agent next year I, I was sitting here, and as you brought this topic up, I was thinking, I don't know why I disagree with it, but I do. And by the end, I very much agree with it, actually. Because I feel like Cam Noon kind of fits in with a lot of the quarterbacks that kind of try and go up. Go, the Chargers have been linked to with big arm. And I don't think James Winston's that mobile, but I'd say Teddy Bridgewater, especially in his younger days, were more mobile. And don't expect that from him at this point because of all the injuries he's gone through. I also don't expect Cam to be as much of a running threat anymore in his career because of the injuries he's also gone through. So that makes sense. Also, Panthers picking up Love over Herbert makes sense to me because I kind of feel like Love and Herbert have kind of switched places in their, like, draft prospect. For most of the year, Herbert was, like, kind of the clear, like, third choice, like, probably going to be drafted in the mid-teens at the latest. And now he's kind of dropped back to that fourth one. And Love's been getting a lot of comparisons, actually, to Patrick Mahomes. And I don't know if he deserves those, but I think someone's going to take a flyer on him early, like Mahomes kind of did with the the Chiefs kind of did with Mahomes. So I very much buy this. It's interesting because I could still, I could see them drafting either of those two quarterbacks. Because at the beginning of the year, Herbert was right up there with Tua for expected to be drafted in the top five. But the more the more you talked about this and talked through the options for each team and how it sets them up for the future, this all makes a lot of sense to me, pretty much, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, so, I mean, I just want to address the Herbert love thing, is that I think Herbert, in most people's minds, is still viewed as the guy that's going to go higher in the draft. But I think the thing that has changed is that Jordan Love's ceiling is higher than Herbert's, where, like you said, the Patrick Mahomes comparables are from what he's able to do out of the pocket. He has a rocket arm, and... This year he wasn't as good. He had a lot of turnovers, but back in 2018 he was a great quarterback and was supposed to be a very high draft pick in this draft, struggled throughout the season, but has kind of regained a higher draft profile going into the draft in April. I don't know if he's going to go over Herbert, but I think that's definitely going to be an interesting decision that teams are going to have to make, like if the Panthers do that. 
who do they want more? Who do you, who do they think is the higher ceiling? Where if you think you can, you know, teach Jordan Love to not make the mistakes that he was that he made in college this year. I think he had 17 interceptions. If you can teach that out of him, he has some natural talents that are like Patrick Mahomes that make him the best quarterback in the NFL. I'm not saying he's going to be Mahomes, but I think he definitely has a higher ceiling than Herbert that I might, I'd probably rather him than Herbert at this point. Well, I mean, people were saying at the Combine, I mean, it was a unanimous coach that came out and said that Jordan Love is a poor man's Patrick Mahomes, basically yeah. saying that he he has all the tools that Patrick Mahomes has, but does he have the knowledge or the football IQ? Mm-hmm. And that's really a question mark. But a lot of teams have come out and said that Jordan Love, I mean, really impressed in the interviews. So it'll be really interesting to see. I don't know who's going to go first. It really de- depends on the trades because obviously if some of these trades happen, it's just going to throw off everything in terms of draft order and who's going to be taken mm-hmm. when. But, I mean, I, I don't know if either of these two – um, Justin Herbert or Jordan Love are the quarterbacks of the future. But then again, I mean, I didn't necessarily think Patrick Mahomes was a quarterback of the future, and obviously he is. Um, so uh, whether or not it's Carolina, um, the Chargers, if they don't make that trade, uh, Indianapolis, or uh, some other teams that draft one of these two guys, um, I, I I don't know who's going to be better. It's, it's going to be tough. But I think that raw talent in Jordan Love is really appealing to some of these teams, especially got a especially for teams that already have quarterbacks on the roster that don't have to play Jordan Love immediately. And I, to wrap up my thoughts on this, I think someone's more likely to take a flyer on Love than they will on Herbert early. I think they, if I were to make my own mock draft, I'd probably have them drafted, neither of them drafted in the top 20, and probably so Herbert first, because I actually, I feel like the Patriots might look pretty seriously into Herbert if they think they can get him at their draft spot, which is in the mid-20s, I believe. But I think there's a chance, like Patrick Mahomes, what happened, Patrick Mahomes, where a team takes a flyer on him earlier is what I'm guessing. And I could see the Panthers doing that because of all the potential they have, and I think he could fit well into the Carolina system. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's definitely interesting because we had Patrick Mahomes who got drafted 10th overall. The Chiefs took kind of a flyer on him where people didn't know how he would do in the NFL. They knew he had the talent and the big arm, but could he put it all together and be a star quarterback? Obviously he has. He's the best quarterback in the NFL in only year three. So that's definitely going to make teams give a second look at Jordan Love. The thing with Herbert is that they don't know how consistent he can be as a quarterback. And the thing is, they have some similarities in that they both sometimes aren't great decision makers. They both have big arms, but the, but people think that the ceiling is higher for Jordan Love because of Patrick Mahomes. So if that's the reason he goes higher, I wouldn't be surprised. But it also wouldn't surprise me if a top 10 team wants to stay away from him because he's more raw as a quarterback right now. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be really interesting to look at. And kind of like you said, it depends on who they have in place um, because he is really raw. So, like, it, I'm just going to bring up the Indianapolis Colts as an example. They have Jacoby Brissett who can play next year. So if they think Jordan Love is that guy, then they should take him, put him on the bench, similar to what Patrick Mahomes had when he had Alex Smith. So it's going to be one of those teams. And I can even see, I mean, this is not as likely because they – don't have a first round pick this year they have to move up and um, really give up a lot to get him but the Steelers are in a similar position where Ben Roethlisberger is on the decline of his career obviously I mean after last year that injury set him out the entire season and they really struggled in terms of quarterback without him so I can see them it's going to be difficult for them to move up in that position with such quarterback needy teams but that's just another option 
Yeah, and to mention on the Steelers option, I think it's really interesting. I doubt they do that just due to the fact that I saw uh, a headline recently that um, they think Ben Roethlisberger is now better than he was going into this past season. And I think that's bold, but and he's kind of getting older. But then again, like Tom Brady and the Patriots, people were predicting his downfall four years ago, and he's won multiple Super Bowls since then. So to wrap up, to finally get back to everything, this trade makes a lot of sense. And the Chargers, I think I could very much see the Chargers going after a guy like Cam Newton, putting him in a place like L.A. I think that's something that could draw fans to the Chargers games, which is something the Chargers need. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great point because we saw what they what they had the past few years when they played at a soccer stadium. They couldn't even fill it up with their own fans. It seems like they always played on the road, whether they were home or away. We saw teams just take over that stadium that were playing on the road. So I think they're having this beautiful, massive stadium that is going to be ready for next season. They're going to have to fill those seats and compete with the Rams, the other Los Angeles team. Maybe Cam Newton's that splash. Maybe it's Tom Brady, Teddy Bridgewater. We don't know who it is, but Cam Newton would definitely be able to get fans in the seats and, and get really interested about this team that would have a very interesting offense and could maybe compete for the playoffs next year. Yeah, I mean, I definitely like that prediction. So moving on to my uh, second bold prediction is that the Browns will um, acquire two tackles or offensive linemen this offseason. So uh, the previous season, they were 17th in run blocking and 19th in pass blocking. They have the 10th most cap space, so they are um, eligible to go after and get some of these guys, whether it's free agency or trade. Um, but I just see this team with Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb. Obviously, they're really talented, a wide receiver with Odell and Jarvis Landry. I mean, they have all these pieces, but they weren't able to get it done. I think a lot of that had to do, not all of it, obviously, but a lot of it had to do with their offensive line play. Um, I think Trent Brown, who's in Washington and claims that he will never play for the Redskins again, is really a factor. Um, I think that he could be traded to the Browns, potentially. Um, they also have a wide array of options in the draft. With, I mean, the most recent mock draft had six offensive linemen going in the first round, which is just really a lot of offensive linemen, a lot of talent there. So I feel like that if they could do that, provide more holds for Nick Chubb, and um, provide more time for Baker Mayfield. I, I feel like I don't know if it's actually going to result in a playoffs playoff spot or a playoff run, but it'll definitely make them take that next step um, with the new head coach and with that new offense. I think that they'll really be successful. They can get two new offensive linemen in there after their struggles this past season. I I actually really like this prediction, and I think it's because I not only see them. Uh, this draft is very heavy in offensive linemen and wide receivers. They don't need a wide receiver. I do think they will go after an uh, offensive lineman. I think they'll also go after um, the guy from Washington because that makes a lot of sense, and I think that's their biggest hole outside of the um, outside, outside of the fact that they had coaching where they're trying to fix that coaching issue. And so I think this makes a lot of sense, and they have a lot of offensive pieces, and I feel like the only issue is their offensive line, so that makes sense. Yeah, I think this is definitely – I mean, I think – they're definitely going to get at least one tackle in the draft. It's, it's the league's worst worst kept secret right now that they're going to draft an offensive tackle at number 10 overall, whether it's Mekhi Becton, Andrew Thomas, Jedrick Wills, or Tristan Wirfs, any of those guys. will. There's, one of them will be there at number 10, so they're going to get one of them. And then, I mean, there's a lot of good offensive tackle. This is a decent offensive tackle uh, free agent class. Jack Conklin, obviously the big highlight there. Whether the Titans keep him or not, that'll be interesting. So, I mean, 
I think they'll definitely get one in the draft at number 10, without a doubt in my mind. And then Trent Williams is interesting if they're able to trade for him. But I think they're going to have to give up their first-round pick to do it and possibly more. So that that'll be interesting. If they trade for Trent Williams, I don't know if they'll be able to get another one in free agency. But if they draft one at number 10, which they will if they keep that pick, then it wouldn't shock me if they go out and sign someone else. Yeah, and I hadn't thought about that previously, where they might have to give up their first-round pick to acquire Trent Williams. Um, obviously, if they give up their first-round pick, they can't get that really top-level tackle that they would get if they were to use that pick in the draft. But I think that um, the value that Washington did have for Trent Williams is declining um, because he is a year removed from football. And, I mean, they've been asking for at least one first-round pick, maybe even multiple, but I don't know if they're going to get that from anybody, and if he's just sitting on the roster and they have to pay him, then I, I that's not a win for anybody, especially the Redskins. Yeah, and to wrap this all up, in my opinion, like I, I don't know exactly what they'll do, but I think offensive line should be their number one focus in free agency, and maybe I don't know if there's any needs, glaring needs on the defensive end, but that would be a number two, but they need to focus on offensive linemen, they have a great offense around it with Landry, with uh, OBJ, with Baker Mayfield, with Nick Chubb, and potentially Kareem Hunt is a restricted free agent for the Browns, and like he barely played this past season for them, if at all. Like I completely forgot he was on the roster, but he's likely to be still on the Browns if he's on a team next year, and that could all be interesting. So this all doesn't matter if they have an offensive line that can't hold the defense and they can't get play set up to go so I definitely feel like this is going to be a huge offseason for them to make a move on that line yeah so now we're going to bring it over to college basketball where March Madness is obviously coming up in a few weeks so we wanted to talk about our top five, our top three players each that are going to have the biggest impact in March Madness so Jake you want to start so mine is the obvious one I'm sure I'm taking your guys's top guy in Cassius Winston of Michigan State um, he's a guard averaging 18.5 points per game, uh, almost six assists per game. He's senior. Um, he made a Final Four appearance last year with Michigan State, um, and they were the preseason favorites. Um, I just think that Tom Izzo has, and Michigan State overall as a team has a little bit underperformed this year, but I think that as a, I don't know if they're going to be a six, seven, eight seed in the tournament. They can definitely upset some people. Um, not in the first round because they'll have a uh, favorable matchup, but in, later in the tournament they could potentially make a deep run. Um, and another thing to mention is that he ranks top five in the Big Ten in scoring assists and steals. And this all is happening. I mean, he's having a, pr- a really good season, uh, shooting 42% from three, all within the wake of his of the tragic loss of his younger brother midway through the season. So. Now that that's kind of behind him a little bit, obviously it's still affecting him. Um, but as the face of that team, I think that that'll really motivate them um, because of that tragedy. I mean, they suffered a little bit throughout the season um, in that stretch when that tragedy happened and when that news broke. But after that, I think they've really recovered. They've won a few key games um, in the past few weeks, and I, I just think that they are poised to make a good run. I. I think there's definitely, I thought about putting a Michigan State player on my list actually for this, and the obvious was Winston, but I think he's going to come and he's going to perform no matter what. And so I, I would look deeper into this roster, Xavier Tillman, Aaron Henry, or the freshman Rocket 
Rocket Watts from Aspire played next to LaMelo Ball last year. I think one of those three guys is going to make or break this team. If they can, if one of them can play as truly a big, strong second star night in and night out like Tillman was expected to do this year, I think that's what will make or break Michigan State in this March Madness run. And I believe one of them will, and I believe Stanley will, I mean, Cassius Winston will do exactly what we expect of him and play like one of the top players that we expected all season. This Michigan State team actually reminds me a lot of a few years back when Kentucky had Nerland's Noel and just didn't have a great season, became an eight seed and made it to that national championship game where they lost to UConn. That's what's reminded me. I think one of these players deeper down the roster will come up and make this team next to Winston. So, yeah, Cassius Winston was my number one player. So before I talk about my other player, I just want to say these stats because I took a lot of time to find these. So (laughs) first, he shows up in the big game every time, and I'm just going to say some of the point totals he had versus big teams this year. 21 versus Kentucky, 21 versus Seton Hall, 32 and 20 in two games versus Michigan, 25 versus Penn State, and 20 versus Maryland. And then last NCAA tournament where they made it to the Final Four, he averaged 18.4 points per game, 6.6 assists, and he shot 36% from three in five games. And then when they made it to the Final Four, they, on their way there in the Elite Eight, they took down Zion and Duke, who I think would have won it all if they ended up beating Michigan State in that game. He had 20 points, 10 assists on 7 of 19 shooting, and used 2 of 4 from for three points. So, I mean, I think he was – he he'll be the player that impacts March the most. Yeah, I mean, I – I like your point, Chase, where somebody deeper in the roster could affect it more. But I think Cassius Winston is just going to take over um, at least their games. I don't know if he'll make a Final Four run um, again because that's obviously difficult to do two years in a row. But, yeah, I mean, he's just he's the leader of this team, and I think he'll really be impactful come March. Oh, there's no doubt about that. And f- so for my first player that I want to talk about that's going to make or break their team in March Madness is going against Michigan State's rivals. It's actually – team I'm wearing on my chest today, Michigan, Isaiah Livers. Michigan has struggled when Livers does not shoot well or play well in general, which is very rare, or when he's injured, which is most of the time why he's not playing well if he's out there. In games where he is healthy, has no injury, non-injury report at all, even if he does play, and shoots over 35%, Michigan is 12-2. and two. One of those losses was to Michigan State. And he's just, I mean, honestly, Michigan is, I would say, a top... 15 team at worst when he's healthy and when he's healthy he plays really well he makes the smart plays he's not the guy that normally takes the most shots or that many shots for him his numbers aren't that outstanding but when he was playing at the top of their game is when they were playing so well earlier this season and they've kind of fallen apart off and on throughout the season that's because he's been fighting through injuries there's been a lot of inconsistencies so I think if he's healthy I think, and plays well, which is something he has not been doing recently, even though he has been healthy, that Michigan team could still make a second weekend run or potentially a Final Four run, even though at this point I think I doubt the Final Four run would happen from the blue, Big Blue. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely an interesting pick because I think Michigan is a team where if they can put it together like they did earlier in the season when we even talked about how they were one of the best teams in the country at one point, that they can definitely make a deep run. Um, I think the bigger impact, though, might be Xavier Simpson on that team. Or I think just overall, I think as good as Isaiah Livers is, and he probably is their best player, definitely their best scorer, I think that whole team just needs to come together as a whole, whether it's Teske, Wagner, Simpson, all these guys that they have, Eli Brooks also. 
I think that they're gonna have to put it together as a team, and it's not gonna be about one guy if they make it far. They yeah. haven't. I'm sorry, they haven't been very connected recently. I agree with that because they were connected early in the season when they were winning, and you agree with that. I agree with that. Teske's not playing as well. He's been losing minutes because of that, and so I agree. It's kind of like Michigan State, where I mentioned other players have to step up. I think the same has to happen here. Yeah, I mean this team. I mean, like Harrison, you kind of mentioned where they definitely have to play together more than some of these other teams. They don't have that. One guy that can, I mean, Livers is obviously very talented. I just don't see him being capable of taking over these games come March. And the other thing um, relating to Michigan, you kind of touched on it, Chase, but they have had some bad losses um, through this stretch. They're 18-11, but I do think that they are one of those teams that if they, I mean, we, we keep saying put it together. I know that's a, a, a term that's lightly used, but um, if they could really just play together, play as one like they did early in the year where they were one of those last undefeated teams, then they could really make a deep run in March and really unexpected. Yeah, so my first player for this is going to be Miles Powell from Seton Hall. He's a senior there. He puts or he has uh, 22 points per game, shoots 40% from the field. On twos, he shoots 50% and then 30% from three, but he takes nine per game. So it's not like he doesn't make a lot of – or doesn't make them over the course of the game and then 1.3 steals per game and for me personally I, I like to watch a lot of college basketball especially the Big East because I mean I'm from New Jersey they're a New Jersey team so I get to watch get to watch a lot of them and it seems like every time he plays he steps up huge for them he's always the best player on the court and especially in big games this season we've seen where they played um some of the best teams in the country he averages 23 points per game against ranked teams, which is phenomenal. Those are the teams we're going to be playing in March when you need your best players to step up. And it seems like he can seemingly just take over any game he wants to and has to. And I think that as good as Seton Hall is, I think they're a legit contender because of Miles Powell. I think they're a good team with him, but they're a gr- or without him, but a great team with him. And however far they go will be on his back. Yeah, I mean, he's been playing exceptional lately. 37 points, 30 points, 38 in the last three games. Um, I had him as one of my players as well. Um, I mean, Seton Hall is due for one of these big tournaments. They The last four years they made the tournament, and they have one win um, to account for. So they're, they're definitely projected a lot higher um, in terms of seeding than they normally would be. And I think that Miles Powell will have a really good march. Um, obviously, he's one of the top scorers in the nation, and he'll, he'll be really impactful. I knew someone would bring up Miles Powell, and it makes sense. He's one of the best players in the nation, and I completely agree with you. I, I, I think some, I think there's going to be a Big East team in the Final Four, or Elite Eight, at the very worst. I'm not sure it's Ian Hall. Uh, later, I'll talk a little bit. Uh, I'll talk about Marcus Howard from Marquette. I think he's another potential player that I think is going to make or break his team. He, I mean, just Powell's one of the best scorers and one of the, my favorite people to watch also in college basketball. I'd expect him to get hot, stay hot, and play really well and take this team pretty deep in the tournament as well. Okay, so my next player is Luca Garza. Um, he is from. He plays for Iowa. He's a junior, 6'11". Um, he's really had a great year this year, 20, 24 points per game, 10 rebounds per game. He's shooting almost 60% from the field and 35% from three. I mean, for a guy that's 6'11", that's, that's really good to be able to shoot 35% from three. Um, he's seen a huge growth from year two to year three. And last year when Iowa 
beat Cincinnati in the first round. He had 12 points and 13 rebounds. Obviously, that's not a huge game, nothing too phenomenal in that performance, but he was only a sophomore in that year, or in that game. Um, but he did help their, their team win. He led them in rebounds. Um, so I think with that extra year where he is the guy on that team, um, they're, they're going to be middle of the pack in terms of seeding, so they'll play some some relatively easy games to start compared to what other teams would have to face. Um, but I think that he can really take that next step and become really just put himself on notice for the world to see. I, I agree with that. I'm worried, though, that he's not going to, in fact, make his team but break his team because he is a great player, no doubt about that. But I also like don't think the Big Ten's that strong when it comes to the center pro, uh, position in general. And so with the seed they're likely to get, I think they're going to go up against a top-tier team that could have a top-tier center this year in the second round. And I think he could struggle very quickly and have to go up against someone like uh, one of the, just one of these top centers in general. I don't even know exactly who I would say. And there's a chance he could explode and play really well, or there's also, I think, the chance that he could crumble and not play poorly but not do enough for his team just because I feel like Iowa doesn't have much outside of him to really help that much. I don't know too much about the roster, but he's a great player, but I don't know far in the way that basketball has been played in the past few years. I'm a big Luka Garza fan. Whenever I watch him, it's a lot of fun, and I know some teams in the Big Ten have a weak center, but I know that your team, Michigan, doesn't, and against Michigan this year, he's put up 44 points and 33 points. So. He's dominated Michigan, there's yeah. no doubt about that. So, I mean, I think that's definitely a valid argument that some of the teams are a little bit weak, but, I mean, he the last time he put up under 20 points was January 7th. That's two months ago, so he's on a ridiculous tear right now. He's a legit national player of the year candidate for the wooden award and i mean i think that i was definitely a dangerous team in march and i think he definitely can carry them very far i don't know if they'll win at all but sweet 16 elite eight is definitely very reachable for them yeah I, w I would agree i don't i don't really have them going to the final four or the final game by any means but i think that a sweet 16 appearance is definitely coming as long as he can take that next step and really um, I mean, like I said earlier, I think he'll put the world on notice and everybody will know his name come that Sweet 16 game. And single-handedly, he pretty much did beat Michigan. I watched both of those games, and I was just frustrated with the fact that, I, I mean, as I mentioned, Big Ten is weak at the center position, and John Teske and Austin Davis from Michigan are two of the most biggest and most experienced players in, <coughs> in that center position in the Big Ten, and he just dominated them. But I'm worried that because, like... His name didn't really get brought up. I didn't know too much about him until Big Ten play started. So I'm worried that now that he'll have to go against these other guys that might, uh, these other teams that might be stronger or have guys that can go up and give him, frustrate him, that he might struggle a little bit. But to move on, ironically, my next player is a center. Well, one of them. It's complicated because I have the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament champion. I think... Northern Iowa had a chance at making it without winning the championship. I think that's likely not to happen. So I'm going to go through three teams very quickly and just mention one of these three teams I believe will win the tournament and cause cause some problems in March. Starting off with Northern Iowa, they're like 24-5. and five. They have wins over a ranked Colorado team. They have their, I mentioned it a few weeks ago. They have a very impressive record. A.J. Green was almost a five-star commit. And he's just on fire. He is Missouri Valley Conference Player of the Year, no doubt about it. It'll be announced by the time you guys hear this podcast. 
He he can absolutely hit from anywhere. He reminds me of Trey Young a few years ago in college basketball, and I think he will. There's a very good chance that they could draw a seven to ten ish seed, especially if they win. They could get as high as seven, in my opinion, if um, they win this tournament, and they could take a number two seed like Duke or San Diego State or someone out in the second round just because he gets hot and he could drop. I honestly believe he could drop forty in a game. Then we have Loyola Chicago. Everyone remembers them making the Final Four a few years ago. This He wasn't the centerpiece at the time, but Cameron Kurtwig is their center. He is now a junior. He was a freshman that year. He's the only guy that's even competing with A.J. Green for Player of the Year in that conference. And he can do it all. He's a very good defender, and he's a very good scorer. He's a very good passer. He does it all. He leads that team. And I very much dislike him because... He beats my team a lot, my hometown team, but that's okay. I mean, he is a great leader, and he's hard to handle. He's not super tall, but he is just a big body. And so I believe that teams might struggle to guard him like we're worried about Garza. And then finally, I have Daryl Brown from Bradley University, which is my honestly the team I focus pay the most attention to. I mean, Daryl Brown is someone that I just love. He's my favorite college basketball player. Bradley won the NBC tournament last year and gave Michigan State all they could handle, and that was partially because of Brown. And I just feel like he's a senior this year. His godfather is actually Penny Hardaway, and I just feel like they could be one of those teams that's like 14-15 seed if they make this tournament, even though it's less likely than the first two teams, I think. And he could go off, and he's hard to stop when he's hot. When he gets hot, he can hit four or five straight threes. And so I think... I think this conference is going to produce a team that's going to have a player that's going to cause havoc, and we're going to see, I think, a second weekend team come out of the Missouri Valley because it happens almost every year. So, I mean, I'll just talk about Northern Iowa because I honestly don't know much about the Missouri Valley Conference, and, I mean, whichever team makes it, I'll, I'll do some research about them. But, I mean, A.J. Green in particular, uh, so I'm looking it up. He's a 40% three-point shooter, and right now Joe Lenardi has that they would be a 10-seed in March Madness. So they go up against a seven in West Virginia, and then Maryland would be the two seed that they play in the second round. I don't think Maryland will end up getting a two, but if they do, that could be a potential matchup. And that definitely is a matchup they could win because A.J. Green, a very good guard, and that's where Maryland struggles a lot of the time to guard on the outside, especially from the three-point. So if you get a guy like A.J. Green that shoots 40% from three and can get hot, maybe that's a game they can win. The other two teams I, I can't say much of, but... Um, I mean, I'm sure that... And A.J. Green is really the guy I would focus on here because I think my guess is Northern Iowa will run away with this tournament this week and we'll know next week. But A.J. Green's definitely the guy I would say that has the best opportunity at causing havoc out of the three of those guys. Yeah, I mean, he's at... I mean, like Harrison just mentioned, he's at 40% from three-point this season. And I just looked <laughs> it up and Steph Curry was 41% at Davidson. So, I mean, that's very realistic that he could potentially make a deeper run similar to what not too deep, Sweet 16 potentially, or even a round before that, where Curry took Davidson a little bit farther than they should have. But the one thing that does concern me about A.J. Green is he's shooting around the same percentage from uh, from two. So if you have to be able to score on a lot of different levels. They could potentially take the three-pointer away. Obviously, that opens up a lot more scoring options for other players. But if he does get hot, then I, I see that as a viable option. And the thing about the Missouri Valley Conference is they just consistently bring out a team that's going to win, which is why I wanted to highlight that. Is I think it's going to be tough for them to do any to any team to handle what's going to come out because it's a conference that's strong from one through six, honestly. And so I just believe 
any of these three players, but especially AJ Green, like in a few years, AJ Green is going to be in the NBA. And so I think he's just the type of player that's definitely going to make this a inch, make them an interesting to, team to watch in March. So my next player is going to be Peyton Pritchard out of Oregon. He puts up 20 points per game, five assists per game, shoots 46% from the field and 41% from three and also averages 1.6 deals per game. And I think the biggest thing for him, as good as he is, he still might be the most underrated player in college basketball for whatever reason, whether it's he plays on Oregon, who's a West Coast team. No one watches the Pac-12 as much as East Coast teams or especially people on the East Coast. And the thing when you watch him is you always feel like they're in the game even when they're down by 10 or 15 late in the game because he just has that takeover ability where he can get hot, shoot four or five threes in a row and make them at any point. So I think that's what's really interesting about him. And so I went and did a little digging about what he did last year because I just remember he went on a ridiculous tear in the end of February and into March. So last year on February 23rd, they were 14 and 13, which is not an NCAA tournament team. They had to go on a run. They ended up winning five straight games to close out the regular season, including a win over Arizona and Washington, who were two of the top four teams in the Pac-12. Then in the conference tournament, they had to win four games in four days to even make the NCAA tournament. They did that as he scored 16 points per game and five and a half assists he averaged. And then in the NCAA tournament, they ended up winning two games and making it to the Sweet 16 where he put up 18 and a half points per game and seven and a half assists per game and they would end up losing to the future champion in Virginia. So, I mean, overall, just from this is that he's a player that can take over a game at any time. He is truly the player that I think in this entire tournament will be able to put a team on his back and can really carry them as far as they can go. And as long as he's hot and playing well, I would not be surprised if we see them in the Elite and maybe even in the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, I really like this pick. Um, Obviously, Pritchard is such a top talent, and... I mean, just the fact that he's, again, another player that's shooting 40% from three, I mean, that is, that's astonishing. I mean, I, I, that's something that just doesn't happen often. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just going back on your point, the fact that he performed that well through the Pac-12 tournament and through the NCAA tournament last year, obviously they, they weren't necessarily talented enough to go past that Virginia team. Um, but, I mean, they, they have some good wins this year against Arizona uh, they beat Colorado. Um, they lost to them earlier in the year, but I think that this Oregon team is is a team that, um, like you mentioned, that nobody's really looking at right now. Um, and I, I do like that aspect where come March you're down by ten points, five minutes remaining, and if you have a guy that can get you twelve points in four possessions, then I mean that's invaluable. Come March. I, I I really like this pick. He is someone I thought about putting... If I had a fourth option, he's actually exactly who I was going to put down as my fourth player to watch. He is very entertaining to watch, in my opinion. He's one of my favorite players to watch again. And I think it's just because he does it all. And he's such a great leader, which is, I think, something that's huge come March. And why I think he will lead this team. And uh, granted, I'm surprised. I did not realize right now Oregon's looking at a four seed, a second round matchup with... Wisconsin or Yale, which I think they could beat either of those, and then potentially a Sweet 16 matchup against Baylor. I love everything about that, especially with he has been, it feels like, in my opinion, at Oregon forever, and I don't even know what year he is. He's a senior. He is a senior. Yeah, Yeah, that makes sense. It feels like he's been there forever. I believe he was, I believe he was a freshman on their Final Four team a few years back. Maybe that was the year before. But either way, he's been in these situations before, so I just love the fact, kind of like 
why I think Winston is just bound to play well like he has for most of the season for Michigan State is he's just like it's just set up to happen and I think you're going to see them make a deep run and I, I agree it's exactly because of Pritchard right there. So my next player is a forward um, Obi Toppin from Dayton. He's averaging almost 20 points per game, 8 rebounds and 2 assists per game. Um, this is a more notable player in terms of um, national hype right now. I mean, Dayton is 27-2, and two, a lot better than they normally perform. They're normally one of those bubble teams that barely get in or get maybe a 7 or an 8 seed. But this year, I mean, right now they're projected to get a 2 seed. Um, so they're going to have a favorable matchup come the first two weeks. I think that uh, Topping can really can perform. Um, outside of him, this team is, is really good, too. They move the ball. They get open shots. Um, that I mean, when you watch them play, it's really unselfish. Um, I mean, it's kind of like those Villanova teams. I mean, they still play that way, but they're just not as talented as they used to be where they, they move the ball around, and the extra pass or the – just to get the guy more open than what he would be. You don't see that very often in college basketball, um, only because some of these guys are like stars and don't necessarily want to make that extra pass. But I feel like Dayton is built for a run. Um, it's, they've never really come into the tournament with high expectations, um, which might be a factor, but I feel like they'll overlook that. And I mean, at six, six foot nine, he's only a sophomore, so he is young. Might not be his year right now. Um, but I think Obi Toppin can really perform. You know, I actually really like this again because of the fact that Dan played really well uh, before conference play started and played against some tough teams. So I think just because they're set up and they have some of that experience, he's a very strong player. And just the way this season's gone, they're one of the few teams I felt have been very consistent. Maybe that's because they're in a weaker conference than most. But I think they're set up to where they could go really 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 far or they could just fall off very quickly and I think that a lot of it will depend on Toppin because he is the one he's honestly the only player I can think of off day and that I knew by just right away so he's going to make or break this team and I expect that we'll see very quickly what happens with Dane. We'll either know after the first game whether they're going to go deep or whether they're maybe going to lose in that second round. Yeah I, I love this pick he was one of the guys that was on my list and I mean I think for obvious reasons he's a phenomenal scorer he rebounds the ball well he shoots 62 percent from the field that's a ridiculous number and he can also get out and shoot the three-point ball and then I like what you said too Jake how him that this is a really good Dayton team this is a legit national ten national title contender and him and Jalen Crutcher that one two that one two punch where Crutcher is the guard top in the forward that's maybe the best guard forward combination in the country it's definitely top five and then, I mean, I think overall, I mean, he's just a physically dominant player. He's always imposing his will on both sides of the court. He's also a good defender. And I think this is a really interesting stat where he scored over 20 points in 14 of 29, 14 of 29 games, and he's only had under 15 points just three times. So he's always showing up. He's always scoring the basketball no matter what. And he'll probably end up being the highest player drafted that is going to be playing in March. You're not going to have James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, Cole Anthony. A lot of these high top seven picks aren't going to be playing. So he'll probably be the, the first NBA player taken, or the first college player taken in the NBA draft that we're going to see in March. So get to know this guy because he's a, a star. Yeah, and the other thing about Dayton, I mean, obviously they don't have as good of a schedule as like a Big Ten team where they're beating up each other and they're really um, 
playing good competition throughout their t- conference. But, I mean, they only lost to Kansas early in the year by six. Uh, that says a lot. Kansas is a really good team. Um, but, I mean, I just I believe in this Dayton team. Um, like Harrison just said, I believe they're a legit national con- uh, title contender. Um, and I just I see Obi Toppin as one of those guys where obviously he's not going to break out because a lot of guys already know his name. And like you mentioned, he is a top NBA prospect, but I think he'll do more to build that build his own resume. My final guy I want to bring up is uh, we're going to bring it back to the Big East really quickly. Marcus Howard. He's averaging 27.6 points per game over the last two games, which granted is a very small stretch. He's shooting over six, 60% as 30 plus points in each. So he's really starting to get hot after he was shooting. I mean, he was scoring the high 20s, but not as efficient. He's just very hot, very efficient right now. And granted, Marquette is a seven seed right now in Joe Lenardi's bracketology. But they're looking at a second-round matchup with Florida State, which I think is a very underrated and tough team. But, like, I think I think Florida State, no one really has a guy that can get buckets like Marcus Howard. But I think Florida State might struggle if they can't stop him. So I think he's the type of guy where he could just, if he stays hot, they could win their big, the Big East tournament, get a slightly higher seed, and then also just go on a roll. And I don't know, again, I'm not sure they're one of these Final Four potential teams, but I could see them being one of those teams that kind of shocks you, that makes it to the Elite Eight potentially and maybe crumbles down the stretch. But I think they're definitely, because of him and how hot he's been playing as of recent, a team that can make a big challenge and make some team struggle a little bit more than they expected in the second weekend. Yeah, I'm a big Marcus Howard fan too, and he probably would have been the next guy I, I'd put on my list. The only reason that I didn't have him higher is because he goes off basically every game, but they're not one of the top. I don't even know if they're ranked right now. They're not one of I the top. I think they just fell out. Yeah, so I mean, last game against Seton Hall, he had 37 points. They lost. He had 30 against Georgetown. They won. But the game before that, he had 38. So he's put up 30 or more in the last three games, and they've lost two of them. So as good as he is, I don't. I think that he can get them a win or two in March, but I don't think he's a guy that can really carry this team that far just because the quality of the players outside of him are good, but not good enough. That I mean, I think they they'll win. They should win the first round. Them making it out of the first weekend is going to be tough. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I don't see them um, being a team to make too deep of a run. He's above the or he's one of the uh, leaders in the entire NCAA in points. So obviously he could score. He's one of those guys that can just score on anybody's whenever, however. Um, but I don't necessarily like Marquette as one of those teams um, that's going to make a deep run um, because of who's on the roster behind him. I don't feel like it's as deep as some of these other teams. And on top of that, they've lost four of their last five games. Um, so, I mean, Harrison mentioned that he's been scoring 30-plus points and they lost two of the past three. So I feel like that could um, potentially occur in the tournament where he scores a, a huge amount, maybe 30 or 40, and they do lose. I don't think it'll be their first game or maybe even their second because I do think he is good enough to get them or steal them a win or two. But I, I don't think that this team is built for a deep run in March. I... I agree that the team is not there to support him, but I just feel like there's sometimes when these players get hot, they're in. He reminds me a little bit of Carson Edwards last year, honestly. I think he's just going to be so hard to stop. Like, I didn't think Purdue was a team. They, they were a better team than Marquette is this year, but 
I didn't think Purdue was the type of team that could, even though, support what Carson Edwards was doing and make them get deep, go deep. And they made it, they gave Virginia, the national champions, uh, a tough time, a good game. And so I'll just be interested to see what happens. I think Marcus Howard is the type of guy that can do that and just score so many points because sometimes these games, because they're playing so much, are lower scoring than expected. So just that one player goes off for 30-plus points, that can be a huge deal. So my final player, I had two lefts. My first one was Malachi Flynn from San Diego State, who they're the one, they're, they have one loss, and I think they're legit. But the player that I'm going to focus on is Yoeli Childs from BYU. He's averaging 22 points per game, nine rebounds per game, 59% from the field, 60% from two-point, and 49% on three-point shots. And the biggest thing for him he was actually suspended for the first nine games of the season due to some complications with an agent from the NBA draft last year, which I don't know the full story there, but he's played 18 games this season. They're 16-2 and two when he's played. He's put up over 20 points in 11 of 18 games. When they upset Gonzaga last week, he had 28 points. And, I mean, I think overall, BYU is a team that is a legit dark horse contender that they have one of the best offenses in the country. They have him. TJ Hawes, they have a few other really good shooters. This is a great shooting team, and he's the guy that he can also shoot the three, but he'll be able to score inside for them. He's a forward, so he'll be able to guard the bigger the bigger forwards and centers on the other teams. And, I mean, we've been talking about stars. This guy, not many people know his name right now, but we've seen stars born in March before, and I think this is a guy that could be another one of those where a lot of people are going to be talking about him after this tournament. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like this pick. He was he was one of my guys in, in consideration, um, shooting 60% from the field. Like you mentioned, he's a bigger guy to help some of those shooters in terms of rebounding and um, defense. Uh, I think that... I mean, even just the fact that he didn't play as many games as everybody else did. He's only had 18 games. Um, I, that, that won't matter too much, but it does say something. He is a little bit more rested than some of these guys coming off of the conference tournament and into March. Um, I think BYU is, I mean, they're 15th in the nation right now. I think they're a lot better than people um, assume or just think when you hear BYU. I mean, they're not normally one of those top teams. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I really like this pick, and they have – other guys around him that can score and get him the ball. And um, overall, I mean, I, I really think that they can make a run. You know, BYU, <coughs> this may surprise some people, but, like, BYU is one of my favorite, like, teams to watch. I watched them over the Pac-12 uh, Pac games at night because they, they're they fun. And, honestly, it started it started last year. I'd play basketball every Thursday night, and it felt like they were on TV when we'd go to dinner afterwards every single time. And, I maybe I'm looking for a TJ Hawes jersey, so if anyone knows where I can get one, hit me up. But Childs is someone that I've noticed this year, and so much fun. Like, there's so much fun, and because, like, I talked about Michigan State, how I think someone else needs to step up and play with Winston, and because I feel like TJ Hawes can do that next to Childs, and I think Childs is going to perform a little bit better than he has right now because these players are going to be tired, and he has had less. He has played less games, and he's fresher than them. I think everything's clicking for BYU. I think they're going to run away with the West Coast Conference Tournament. I think they're going to be a good team in March. Like, Granted, I could see Gonzaga giving them some problems in the championship, but I think this is a... I think some people are going to expect this team to get upset early, and I think it's going to be the opposite. I think they're going to go deep and bust some brackets because people didn't see this coming. Those two are just such such a punch and they're both seniors they've been doing this for years 
the, and granted BYU's not been making the tournament, but this is consistently BYU's been the second or third best team in the WCC this past few years. And they're just both these guys have gone the next step, and they're older, more mature than most people in March. I think they're going to cause a lot of issues, and Childs is a great player to pick that that could cause some issues in March. Yeah, I mean, this is one of my favorite teams that I'm I'm definitely going to pick to go very far in March. They're definitely going to bust some brackets, and I mean, the biggest thing for them, this is an experienced team. They've been there before. They've never been this good before, but they have Childs who's a senior, T.J. Hawes who's a senior. Jake Toulston, their other star guard, who puts up 15 points per game, shoots 47% from three. He's also a senior. They have another junior. And, I mean, I think that this is just a very well-rounded team that moves the ball around well. Everyone can shoot, but they can also drive and score twos. So I think overall this is one of the more entertaining teams to watch in the country. And behind Childs, obviously Yoeli Childs is the best player on this team, but Hawes, Toulston, and Alex Barcelo also. All great players, and this is a team that you got to watch out for. Yeah, I mean, not even their experience, but their coach. I mean, he, Mark Pope, is um, he had NBA experience um, as a player. He was an assistant at Georgia, Wake Forest, BYU, and then he was the coach at Utah Valley for four years. This is his first year at BYU, so I think that he has something to prove as well. Along with, I mean, you just mentioned all the experience they have. So I think all of this just comes together for BYU to have um, the potential to have a really good tournament run. I, I completely agree. BYU have a lot of these player teams that we mentioned. It's not just that the player we we mentioned needs to play deep, play really well. I mean, but also they need a second player to set up to play well next to them, which is why I think BYU's maybe one of my favorite top three teams out of the teams we mentioned today that could go deep. But I just want to thank everyone for listening. We'll be back one more episode before a week off for spring break. But again, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.